Welcome back to Wake the F Up Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, along with my co-host and husband, David Long. And this is part two of our conversation, talking about grief, aging parents, fear, safety, loneliness, and all the things. If you missed part one, go back and listen to it now. You'll get to hear so many big insights about our different grief journeys and experiences, what we've learned, and what we're still working on. So let's jump back in. David and I are talking about the stages of life we're in, along with a lot of our peers, as our parents are aging, and the grief that comes along with that when a parent dies. Well, we can do it. So we're gonna, I mean, yeah, I mean, just we're, we're in this phase where we realize, like, we are going to have a lot more deep loss ahead of us, well, potentially. I, I think the demographic is, is good for that talk, because like we talked about before, when you reach middle age, like we are, or at least I am, mm-hmm. um, when you're, when those coping strategies start to break down and you start to kind of realize that it's not working, you start looking for something to help, like this podcast or um, therapy or the app or retreats. whatever, yeah. retreats, whatever, you start looking for ways to help. And really what you're just looking for is new coping strategies, which is fucking great because everybody needs to update their coping strategies pretty regularly. Um, that same group of that same age, that same middle-aged people have aging parents. So parents in the 70 to 90 range. And it's um, it's brand new world for me. I mean, I my parents have always been very independent, um, almost fiercely independent, particularly my dad. A hundred percent, you know, takes care of himself and he's 81 now. And, uh, it's, it's starting. And I, when I, when I share this with my friends, they're like, yep, we're having the same, you know, issues when you start to have to like be involved in your parents' healthcare, which is, you know, so crazy. It seems like just yesterday they were taking me to the pediatrician. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And now, um, they need us or they think they need us anyway. I'm not sure. I haven't worked out really because it's complicated because uh, the truth is they're adults. They're independent people that are starting to need help. And uh, how much help? When do you give help? What's help? What's hurtful? When do you impose your, you know, we have so much to talk about better perspective. They don't. And then like, like for example, how do you get a parent to stop driving? Right. You know, when they shouldn't be driving. And so many of our friends have been dealing yeah, with that. Yeah. And it's uh it's not an easy thing. Or how do you get your parents to take their medication or go to the doctor mm-hmm. or basically just not kill themselves? Right. Um and is that your should you do that? I don't know. It's so a lot to navigate and we've been thinking a lot about loss and we're grieving. And I, I think, you know, it's well, been... that's, the, that's the thing. So like Papa dies, it's terrible. And you immediately start thinking, you know, your my dad's mortal. He's going to die. Mm-hmm. My mom is mortal. She's going to die. And all that's going to happen. Right. And we have five children under our roof, you know, two of the five are, lost their grandfather this week. It's my son's name is Carl. 
my first husband's name was Carl. His dad's name was Carl. And he looked at me when he found out and he was like, I'm the only Carl left. And he's 13 years old. I'm thinking to myself, my God, this child has had a significant amount of loss. And that is a lot to carry. And well, you know, Jan and I used to talk about this one, Betsy first died, about how in the West we're particularly unprepared for loss. We just we, really are. we are a youth and vitality um, society. That's what's valued. And the elderly are not considered until they die. So it comes a it comes on with a sudden thing. And I have seen that a lot. Like a lot of people are unprepared for their parents' death, even though Mm-hmm. you know that they're going to die your whole life or everybody you know is going to die eventually and for some reason maybe because we don't we don't want to think about our own mortality we don't like to admit that the people we care about are going to die and do die i mean and, but you struggle when we talk about if i we always like so whenever death or someone like an, something like this happens right so we get around somebody else dies or this has been a big one where it's it's then i'm like listen if something happens to me and we have this conversation and he's like nothing can happen to you and i'm like okay it's just a nod (laughs) i so i'm like i can relate to when people can't face it it's really challenging it's really hard to imagine especially with the amount of loss we've had in our house however what i do think is like one of the bigger things that you can do like okay let's say you don't have your living will laid out you don't have your wills laid out you don't have i mean i do think it's important if you're young to you know decide who your children are going to go to because that's kind of scary to think about that kind of stuff well so that's the mechanics of death right and that's that's kind of that part can be disturbing but it's not it can be done in like for me it's not as disturbing as like not having the person there like like for example my dad and i we don't talk a lot i'd say we talk probably once a month on average but it's hard for me to imagine to not be able to pick up the phone and call him once a month and the truth is like carl our car can no longer pick up the phone and talk to Papa. None of our kids can talk to their parent. And there's little griefs along the way. Like everything can become a grief thing for them. So wreaths at Christmas time. Christmas ornaments literally knock me out every year. This last week I ordered, this is so bougie and he can laugh at me. This will make everyone. I had this uh, lady who's helping us with our house. Apparently loves Christmas as much as I do. And I have been trying to recreate our normal Rockwell version of a blended family Christmas. And it's a disaster every year because we all have to pull out ornaments no, from no. our original families. It's a disaster because of the expectations. Right. Again, I'm ruining <laughs> our life through expectations and not living in the now. But it's really sad. In the now, you pull out ornaments that represent an entire life that no longer exists. This is the ornament we got when we found out we were pregnant with Kate. And this is the ornament I got when Car was taking karate. And this is the ornament, you know, like you're literally like this person who I shared all of these memories with going on the tree. And the, the kids still be like, oh, look at this. This is the guitar. I love this one. You know, like, and you're like just losing it. So I hired this lady who <laughs> she literally was like, well, theme the tree out. Your kids can each pick five ornaments that mean special to them from the past. And we can, they can put them on the tree. You guys can put them on together. I'm going to decorate the whole damn tree and set it up. And I was like, Done. Done. If I cannot get in my head for one year, please, David. David was like, I can't even believe you with this. It was a little bit expensive, which is why he's shaking his head. 
That's what's important. That's what's important (laughs) before you lose it. One thing I've learned in this relationship is (laughs) it's okay to go with a mistake. I personally think this is a mistake, but it's actually okay sometimes to swing for a mistake. And sometimes you hit home run and sometimes you don't. So it likely will be a giant mistake. Some of the things that she has recommended, I have thought that it's going to be a disaster and we should definitely not do that. And it turns out that it's like a wonderful family moment. And um, what the fuck? You know, you just got to kind of go with it. Well, you just don't ever know in our house. So we constantly have to try new things to try to create more successes than failures, I think. Yeah. uh, Boating is a big success for us. Boating and tubing is. I never predicted that. I would have thought putting all of our kids and all of our family on the same small boat might have been a disaster but no they love it they love it they love it so that's the thing that we found is like a way we can do something all together and the christmas eve thing last year we we alex said the kids so in my house we were very strict in general but with christmas in particular also in that we could never open any presents before. Like there was never, I know when I Your knew, parents' house or your yeah, my parents' house. I knew families that like would have a little Christmas Eve thing. In fact, I knew families that would. We never put either in my house growing up. Yeah, my, I knew I had families that would open like two presents on Christmas Eve or whatever. I'm not, you know, we never, we weren't allowed to do that. Um, that was really winging. So Alex was like, I think we should let the kids give the presents to each other on Christmas Eve. And I was like, no, that's not allowed. You know? <laughs> Um, but I went along with it and it turned out to be, it was amazing. They each gave each other a gift. The gifts were amazingly thoughtful from people that we thought hated each other. It was very and they explained, like most of them explained to the, to the gift receiver what the thought behind the gift was. It was really I mean, my 17-year-old son got me Wrangler jeans. He's, like, kind of in a cowboy phase. That'll probably be a permanent phase for him, but... They were, like, oh, area. That's right. Like, straight horse riding jeans. I was, like, I will likely never wear these, but, like, the fact that he went to this, like, got my size and, like, bought me a pair of pants, it was so sweet. Yeah, it was... um, (laughs) Anyway, it was, like, they had their own Christmas, which was a really good bonding... Thing. I really, it was great. Thank God, too, because we're in the Texas uh, grid system and we lost power the next day. So it was a little bit of a debacle a day of. Anyway, um, we've lost track. But the point of the what we were talking about was that I was thinking about just mentioning the evolution of grief. And so as I'm grieving again, and it feels like this one's like a little bit harder, probably because I was running a funeral and making sure the kids were okay. I, I definitely stepped out of my body for a good, like, mm, two years, potentially. Um, this one, I've had more space. And one of the things that's been coming up in the trauma course I'm taking is I'm learning that you cannot heal or be in right relation. So no, you cannot have a healthy relationship. You cannot be in communion with other people in the right way. So in a calm nervous system way, uh, your body will not allow it. So your ner- if your nervous system is dysregulated, you literally have no feelings of safety chemistry this is chemistry talking okay this is your biology so we're in fight or flight we're in a freeze there are parts of your brain and your body that just will not open all the way up to being in a relationship or grieving all the way or feeling all the things right you go into survival skills to kind of protect you so that you calm your nervous system down 
It's super powerful to think about that. I've been like mind blown by that very simple thought. Uh, if you do not have safety in your world, you cannot heal and you cannot have a healthy relationship all the way. And so this time I'm safe. I'm really safe in life right now. And that's a lot to do with David and I's relationship. And I'm, we work really hard. By the way. We're like always going to therapy, always communicating. We have a lot to work on. I mean, kids are always upset. It's not, it's not easy by any means, but we put the work in. We really do. I think you're right. It's hard to stress how important that is. Um, I never valued that before. Communication or which part? Um, having a safe home with communication. Um, and that definitely led to a lot of anxiety and stress amongst the entire house. Well, to the listeners out there, if you're asking yourself, am I in a space of safety? It's a pretty simple technique. You can literally ask yourself in your body, where is it that you feel safe? Who do you feel safe with? When do you feel safe? How do you feel safe? And and conjure up um, sort of that energetic embodiment of what safety means to you and where you find that. And when you start to ask yourself and, and emulate that feeling within, exactly what I said about like being with you has been like walking off plain from cold to warm beautiful sunny ocean kind of air which is my bliss that could be somebody's hell but it's my bliss um that's what you need to look for to build into your day and that's what this app and this company is about we're actually going to start to teach you little somatic exercises to connect to get some interoception on how do you feel during the day and really if you get out of your head so you see how expectations like christmas and that kind of mentality of me forward thinking to the point of like having some lady build my tree for me. Her name's Tracy. And by the way, she's an artist. She's an artist and she's a gift. So I'm defending her still. But the fact that I'm already anticipating the hell of Christmas and therefore proactively creating things to make it better is shows you where I get out of safety, right? I get out of safety when I don't feel like I belong. I don't belong at Christmas because it reminds me that I'm sitting in a mothering chair for three children who I desperately wish had their mother. I also love to be a mother and want to love them so bad and want to mother them because they need it. However, that's not how relationships work. So until I feel safe and until they feel safe, and it takes quite some time for children to feel safe with a step-parent. Um, I can contest this. I have a step-mother myself. And until we're both in a safe space, right? So I'm not being threatened and they're not being threatened. We can't have a right relationship. We can go in and out. And it's interesting, like, I've never really even thought about that until now with them. You know, it's like, I need to stop focusing on anything but safety. But you have to ask other people. So, like, David, what what is, how do you feel safe? Um, do you know? It's a hard question. Sorry, throwing that out. You're not going to like the answers, but they're... Oh, God, I'm yeah. scared. Um... I definitely feel safe when we're financially sad. I think this is a common for men. It's actually common for women too. I also feel safe when I'm financially stable. Yeah, financially unstable is not, it's hard for me to, for my shoulders to relax. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm, you know, post-coital or whatever, I'm still thinking in the back of my mind, we don't have enough money in the bank or, you know, something like that. 
provider role shift, but the provider role, if, if you're in a partnership and someone else is responsible for the finances and that's not really in your thing, that's, that's okay. But I want to say that it's really beneficial. I think you can agree, right. To tap in and ask about that. Like, how does this make you feel to be having the burden of and the responsibility of all of our finances, it weighs, it weighed on me so much when I was a single mom and weighs on me still. I think we co-partner a lot in our financial burdens. Yeah. So that, um, and I'm working on that and you help me a lot with that. Uh, cause that is definitely tied to, if I don't have enough money, then no one will love me or want to be with me, which is certainly not the case, but it feels that way sometimes or feels that way. And, uh, it is nice to have a partner that can number one, recognize that that is not the case and to reassure me that that's not the case. Um, that helps. Um, another thing that where I feel safe is, um, I don't know. That's, that's the main one. Um, being, being loved probably is, is a pretty big one. Um, feeling continually feeling like you're not sure if you're loved is not a safe place. It, it, because you always, or at least I always felt like there was something I had to do some way I had to be, some way I had to talk, some way I had to walk, some way I had to dress some, a lot of pressure to be a certain way and in, in the hope that I would be loved. And I'm not saying that Betsy didn't love me. Betsy did love me. Um, we just had trouble expressing it to each other. Well, you know, it's crazy too. This is a really like $10,000 worth of therapy right here coming from my therapist. Jan always used to say to me or that a lot of people, including myself, would say, like, so her patients would constantly say, well, I mean, did they love me? Did they not love me? Did my parent not love me? Did my spouse not love me? And she would say, well, no, they did. They did love you, but that they can only love you to the capacity that they're able to love themselves. Right. And again, this goes back to you can only love when you feel safe. Right. So that I guess that's the more important part of that comment I just made is that Betsy did not feel safe. Right. She didn't feel you safe. didn't feel safe. Exactly. So I could not receive or give and neither could she. And it led to what felt like a loveless relationship. Um, just because we were blocking That's right. each other. And I'm in a relationship now where um, we still have those struggles, but we work through them and we... I definitely don't always feel safe in my role as a stepmom, as my role as a second wife. Right. Um, you have to talk about that. <laughs> well, so we talk about... I mean, it's scary. I always force on like the hardest conversation. I'm like, do you... Like, let's get vulnerable. Like, I don't feel like I'm lovable here. I, Because at this point, I'll say this. I think the difference between me as a non-widow and me as a widow is I'm not wasting any more of my life hiding. I can't do that. I promised Carl that I would live fully and I will keep that promise. And what that means, what that means to me and what I think I can give to him um, is that I will take every opportunity to make myself live fully and be my full self. And I have to really look at who that is and what that means and how I can show up for the people that I love the most. And especially Papa dying. I mean, he literally like 
loved everyone. Like he may have never like had his diet perfect or what he always talked to me about how he didn't give a crap about like he, he was a bank examiner and did an amazing job and could have like done anything, could have gone to federal level. I and mean, he was all over. And he chose, and he told me it was an active choice. He wanted to be home when his kids got home. He wanted to coach their baseball. He wanted to know them and spend time with them. He just wanted to be a part of their life. And I remember even back then being like, I don't have a dad like that at all. I'll never have a dad like that again. He did that for my life too. And um, I want to do that for our life. And I want to do that for my children and your children. And I want to, it's it's hard. You have to be vulnerable to do that. You have to open up and I have to say, mm, I don't feel very safe right now. I used to not call it safety though. I called it some, like, I don't feel good enough. Yeah. And I would, I would, this goes beyond interpersonal relations too. This is this, I think this actually, I could have done by myself. Um, what could you tell yourself? Well, I don't, I was just thinking, does that require two people? And I think the answer is probably no. No. So it doesn't. I mean, we're talking relations just because we're in relation, but you know, people who are single, who don't have children, this resonates, especially like what job makes you feel safe? How do you feel safe alone? Like, can you navigate the world? I mean, I was alone. I mean, with children, but alone for a while, and it's very scary. Yeah, I think had I done this work alone, I probably would have been a much better husband. <laughs> Surely, me too. I, I, I don't know. In fact, while you were talking, I was thinking, um, had I heard this before, I'm sure I would have said, "Fuck that! I don't need that. I don't need that shit." Well, even I the word don't even need to hear it. Safety, you're like what? Right. Right. I don't even need to hear it. But like the truth is, my I can see now that I never really felt safe. It's that, hard to say that out loud. That that sent reverberations through my whole life and made me make a lot of decisions that were not that great. They were safe. Well, because you make decisions to bring safety, mm-hmm. but it's false safety. Mm-hmm. Like so more money, bigger house, those yeah, things that look to, safe. I didn't I I don't know if I talk about this on the podcast or not, but Betsy and I both used to live our lives. And I know a lot of people do this. Um, like we would say, well, you know, it's going to be better when we mm-hmm. get into medical school. We just got to get through medical school. When, well, when we get into residency, it's going to be better. When we get through residency, it's going to be better. Well, when we get out in private practice and have our own home, it's going to be better. And like you're always... The next thing and then, and then it's, well, when the kids get through pre-K, it'll be better. Well, when the kids get into grades... And that it just doesn't happen. You're well, always preempting the good part. And and like before she died, we used to talk about retirement. Well, when we retire, it's going to be blank. And the truth is, had we not done the work, and I don't know, we would have done the work. I like to pretend like we would have. I like to think that we would have. Sure. I think that so. had we done the work, retirement would have been unbelievable. You know what I mean? It would have been the best part of our lives. But not doing the work and still retiring would have been the same. If not worse. Well, and you don't live life in the future. You live life in the now. Mm-hmm. And there's no guaranteed moments. You know, my father-in-law had been with a difficult heart situation for quite some time. And I, you know, his his wife always said, my mother-in-law, Rose always said, like, every day is a gift. I mean, she literally has been saying that every time I talked to her since before Carl died. And people say shit like that all the time. But the truth is, Every day literally is a gift. Like every moment really is a gift because we are not guaranteed a long life. We're not guaranteed 
anything really, you know, everything can be ripped from you. People you love can be taken from you. There's, there's just really no guarantee. And that can make you feel a lot of anxiety if you start thinking about all the bad what ifs. But the truth is, what do we have control of? Well, we have control of how we wake up in the morning, how our interactions with each other, how we can tell each other, how we can make each other feel safer, how we can provide safety in our own world, you know, our reactions. Yeah, I would just, I would love in this process to connect with a handful of people that felt like I used to feel. And Oh, there's a lot of them out there. We got a ton of response from your podcast. And, and have people that think this is bullshit <clears throat> just for a second to um, get just a little bit of um, the feeling of connectedness and the feeling of mindfulness and um, waking up. Yeah. And there's no doubt in my mind. It is scary, but there's absolutely no doubt. I don't want to sound evangelical about it, but there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that this is a better way to live for most people. Well, I like that you're evangelical about waking up. <laughs> I think this has been an amazing conversation. We've got a lot going on. We could go on forever. Yeah, this was a really long introduction. This is a very long introduction. Welcome to David Longwinded. <laughs> That's my Instagram handle, Alex Longwinded. Follow me. Follow us on all of our stuff. Um, we've got lots of resources. We're constantly updating the app. We have the podcast. We have wake retreats. Um we have weight courses. My new course is coming out, Wake the F Up, this weekend. It's a three-day course on Kajabi on our website through Wake. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot of stuff like to get you to understand what David's talking about, which is like, how do I begin to feel? So if you're out there, and I'm not just talking to male guests, like anyone who's struggling and feeling a little stuck and like feeling is bullshit. Well, it is as anything can be bullshit, but like if you really tap in, that's generally your fear talking. For sure. Um, because underneath, I think almost everyone feels the same that if we really expose this part of ourselves, that we don't show the people we love or even anyone in the world that we, we might open up to the fact that when we show this side of ourselves, that people will love us. Mm -hmm. And that is like, it's gotta be the scariest feeling. And I think universally everyone feels that way. Mm -hmm. That's how you felt, huh? Oh, for sure. Me too. For sure. And I, we're going to have some really interesting guests. I hope so. All the men who want to come on the show, hit us up. Challenge the way we think and uh, kind of help us, I think, see the different types and different stages of um, relationships and all kinds of, it's going to be fun. I yeah. Th I think, I hope it'll be we're excited uh we're hopeful in the future to do you know a couple's retreat and different things that kind of like you know just highlight on some of the things we've learned uh by no means are we doing it all right we are just taking the steps to communicate and provide safety for each other and i that sounds it is as easy as it sounds if your partner can get vulnerable enough to tell you when they feel safe even if it's in small ways like david brings me a cup of coffee every morning I will never stop talking about how coffee is my love language. Um, when Carl died, I had no one to drink coffee with, make coffee with for. And he promised in our vows he would make me coffee every day. And he has made me coffee every day. 
And there's something so safe about that. There's something, it's so simple, right? Like, and it's probably not that simple actually, but. It's the simplest thing and it brings you pleasure every day. Every day. The first thing that I wake up to is him holding his cup and smiling and he makes foam art in my latte and uses the milk I like half and half. I'm a bougie, I like a high fat Bravo latte and I put cinnamon on it, which makes him mad every day, but it's. Ketchup on a filet mignon. It's delicious. Know. Whatever. But whatever. Um, these are the things we're talking about. So it doesn't have to be like going all in all at once. Start small. Like little things that show your partner. I see you. And I want you to be safe. I want you to be loved here. Yeah. Reassurance during the bad times is extremely helpful. Yeah. And it, it does take a little bit more, in my opinion, than just I love you no matter what. You yeah. Know, it, you gotta that statement's kind of annoying when men do yeah. that. You're like, oh whatever. I love you no matter what. You know, and maybe we should better define no matter what, you know. Well, as I've been grieving and we'll end on this like relatively short note or long <laughs> note, probably. He's been very cool about letting me just cry about Carl and cry about his dad. And I recognize that that can tweak and be like do you love me as much as you love, you know, that's very weird. We're very like humans are like this. We can't, even though he knows very personally that we can love two people um, because we love differently and he's a different person than Carl. It's been really good to know that he would be like, I'm just going to try really hard to not let my stuff stop me from being here for you. I want you to be able to feel this because Papa was special. Carl was special. Betsy was special. And we both have to actively work on holding space for that, that they deserve time to be grieved. Yeah, it's it's mildly selfish, too, because it's a way <laughs> that I can learn more about you and more about how you feel and more about where you came from. And that kind of helps me know where we are and where we're going. Um, yeah, I've learned I love family so much, huh? <laughs> yeah. He's been like, I'm sorry, there's the blended family. We have, like, all of these kids are, like, fighting and... They're, and they love each other at the same time. They're like loving and they're fighting. My daughter punched a little boy at school. I mean, we've got all kinds of shit going on. Nothing is perfect around here. But I think you're starting to really understand that like family is everything to me, which is why I was good at being in a tight Sicilian family. As long as we're not too attached to a perfect family, I'm, I'm in. I've never been able to accomplish a perfect anything. <laughs> uh, well... Okay, welcome everyone, David Long. So thank you so much for joining us today and the future, he's gonna be here for the future. So it's uh, awesome to be doing this with my husband and sharing what I think is um, his insight is always wowing me. Like you're always wowing me, I'm obsessed with you. Um, I don't know how the divine, I always think like Carl and Betsy like sent us to each other, he hates that, but because he's atheistic, but I really believe that you are my perfect person to try to walk through the rest of life with. And I'm perfectly okay giving them credit <laughs> if it was easier to do. This is a lot of work, and we're doing the work. That's sure. all. I just want credit for the work we're doing. That's we are doing the work. Um, it's, a, it's very hard. Very, very hard. So know out there, um, bright relations require safety and work. And you have to expose yourself. Yeah. And you have to hold safety for your husband, women out there. My, my females, if you're wanting your partner to open up, 
you got to create a safe space and you have to be unafraid to hear their sometimes scary answers. Yeah. And that goes both ways, I think, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody out there, thank you so much for joining. Keep uh, attempting to wake up. We are trying to stay awake and grief right now again and wish us luck. We are heading to New Orleans. Um, send prayers to my to my family, cover my children in love. We have to go back to the same place where my first husband was buried, to the same priest who spoke at his funeral in New Orleans. Um, we're going down grief bomb trail uh, in two days. And so we are holding tight and holding on to the fact that we know when we feel like we're not going to be able to keep going, we know better than that by now. That grief is just love and it's, it's okay to feel it. You won't die. So thanks, David. Love you. This has been Wake the F Up podcast hosted by Alex and David Long. Be sure to check out other episodes where our community of experts share tools and ideas to help you wake to the life inside of you. If you enjoyed this episode of Wake the F Up, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Join the Wake community by downloading our app. Just search for The Wake Wellness in the Apple or Android App Store and follow us on Instagram at The Wake Wellness. Thanks for listening.